We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 754 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, February 2nd, 2024. It is 2.2.24. The two-year anniversary of 2.2.22. The two-year anniversary of the official announcement of Commanders as the new name for the NFL team that started as the Boston Braves, then became the Boston Redskins, then became the Washington Redskins, and then became the Washington football team. Who could forget the high-energy High production value, all-time great way (laughs) in which the name Commanders was officially announced. Let's go back to February 2nd, 2022. What the team branded as 2.2.22. The Today Show on NBC. Anchor and Washington fan Craig Melvin along with Washington interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen, team president Jason Wright, and senior advisor to Jason, Doug Williams. All four guys were seated in chairs on the field in an empty (laughs) FedEx field on a freezing cold day in the nation's capital. Craig asked Jason a question, and then Jason gave Doug the honors. Let's not like make folks wait. Let's not drag it out, Jason. What's the, uh, what is the new team name? Doug, what is it? We are the Commanders. <laughs> <laughs> we are the Commanders. The Commanders. The Washington Commanders. That's right. Uh, oh, wow. You didn't waste any time there. There it is. And there it is. Happy two dot two day to you and yours. Boy, two full years of the name Commanders. (laughs) What wonderful, unifying memories we have with that name from these last two years, right? And is it not appropriate that we, on this two-year anniversary of 2.2.22, have yet another major Commanders news item to discuss? The hiring of Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn as Commander's head coach. Yes, the head coaching search is over, and it has resulted in Dan Quinn as the team's head coach. Hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. As I am recording this at, what time is it? 4.10 a.m. Eastern on Friday. Uh, The Commanders have not officially announced the hiring of Dan Quinn as head coach, but that clearly is what is happening via countless reports. Commanders managing partner Josh Harris has found his head coach. Dan Quinn, by the way, a man with ties 
to the Mid-Atlantic region. He was a defensive lineman for Salisbury University in Salisbury, Maryland from 1989 through 1993. Also, Quinn was defensive line coach for William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia for the 1994 season and for VMI in Lexington, Virginia for the 1995 season. And now Quinn is becoming the commander's head coach. Next segment, in-depth reaction to and analysis of the commander's hiring Dan Quinn as head coach. I know (laughs) that a lot of you are not happy about this. I'm actually not as down on this as you might think, but I do have questions. Uh, There is a lot to sort through. Sort through it all, we shall. Next segment. Also on the show, the Orioles, a big-time trade on Thursday night, acquiring Ace Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers. Yes, the O's one day after announcing that the Angelos family is selling the team made a big trade. Coincidence? I think not. I'll give you my breakdown of the trade and then we'll welcome on a great guest to discuss the sale of the O's reporter Jeff Barker of the Baltimore Sun. Jeff has done some terrific reporting on the sale. Uh, He's going to give us all kinds of intel, including what now for the O's and Nationals in the Masson dispute. And know this, Jeff has had a good relationship with the Angelos family for years. So Jeff is very plugged in. You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. From DC Sports Rule on X with a notable point about the commander's head coaching job, writes DC Sports Rule. One thing that I will say about the job, it presents a logistical nightmare, unless most NFL head coaching jobs are like this, but you work daily in one state, but for games at FedEx Field have to travel an hour, and that's with decent traffic, and then you maybe don't get home until a few hours after the game. If you have options, can something like this matter? Uh, Thank you for that DC sports rule. Well, something like that certainly isn't viewed as a positive. Uh, The commanders are the only NFL team that has its team facility in one state slash district, has the stadium in another state slash district, and yet has in the official name of the team, another state slash district. The team facility is in Virginia. The stadium is in Maryland. And the name of the team is Washington Commanders. Uh, We don't make a big deal about this because we're so used to this, but think about how odd that is. And with most commanders, executives, coaches, and players living in Virginia, because that is where the team facility is, the drive to FedEx Field is viewed as a nuisance. Now, I'm not shedding any tears for these people for having an inconvenient commute 10 or so times per year while making a ton of money. And I don't know that the inconvenient commute 10 or so times per year is enough to dissuade someone from wanting to be the head coach of the team. But that is a reality that does not help. Uh, Plenty of NFL teams have their team facilities right near the team stadiums. The commanders have like the exact opposite of that. Email from Michael Lindsay on the commander's head coaching search, writes Michael, thanks for continuing to be our virtual therapist for all things skin slash commanders. I swear they take us through so much heartache and pain. Thanks for convening this virtual group therapy session on a daily basis. The latest heartache and pain comes to us in the form of this head coaching search. What the heck is going on. I cannot help but wonder if there is so much internal disagreement such that it leads to information over-assessment or decision-making malaise. I mean, think about it. First and second interviews, a laundry list of candidates. Is this required? Be decisive. Make a decision, for God's sake. Go with someone and get on to free agency and draft preparations. Might Josh Harris be meddlesome? What if Adam Peters has had his person and was ready to make a move, but it is Harris and the ownership group who are second and third guessing things? I would never believe that Peters was not ready for this moment. I am sure that he knew his first, second, and perhaps third head coaching options months ago. This process has not instilled a lot of hope in the fan base. Quite the contrary. The process has raised a red flag. There likely are too many cooks in the kitchen. Thanks as always for the best podcast in the business. Well, thank you very much for that, Michael. Uh, Look, Josh Harris in no way has a reputation 
for being meddlesome. In fact, he has the opposite reputation. He has the reputation for hiring good people and letting them work. And it would be pretty foolish for Josh to go all out in hiring Adam Peters as general manager and then immediately undercutting Peters by not following his direction in the head coaching search. Uh, That said, there is a lot here that we do not know. So I'm not going to be entirely dismissive of anything. And I have to tell you, and I'm a bit reluctant to say this, but this podcast is about honesty and speaking truth. And so I will be honest and speak truth. Do you know what this commander's head coaching search reminds me of? It reminds me of the head coaching search that led to the Skins hiring Jim Zorn as head coach. Saturday night, February 9th, 2008, the Skins, after a lengthy head coaching search in which it seemed as if the Skins had no idea what they were doing, named Jim Zorn as their head coach. This off the Skins on January 26th, 2008, having hired Zorn as offensive coordinator. So the Skins hired Zorn as offensive coordinator, couldn't find a head coach, and then made him the head coach. Now, that absurd head coaching search was led by the then-owner of the team, Dan Snyder, and the then-executive vice president of football operations of the team, Vinny Serrato. <laughs> Comparing the competence of Josh Harris and Adam Peters with the competence of Dan Snyder and Vinny Serrato is like comparing a Bugatti with a scooter, okay? But this commander's head coaching search has had the same vibe of the Skins head coaching search that resulted in Jim Zorn from a standpoint of taking a long time and fans and people in the media not feeling great about what is happening. Of course, what's funny is that Jim Zorn, over his first eight regular season games as Skins head coach, went 6-2. and two. The hiring initially looked like a stroke of brilliance. And then came the rest of Zorn's tenure as Skins head coach, 6-18 and 18 over his final 24 regular season games as Skins head coach. Jim Zorn, the Zorn star, Uh, We knew that we were in trouble (laughs) when Zorn, at his introductory press conference as Skins head coach, got the colors of the team wrong. Uh, Instead of saying burgundy and gold, he said maroon and black and yellow. You know, they all get involved and they all got their gear already. And so they're going to be all colored up in, uh, in the maroon and black and yellow. Yes, Jim, thank you. The maroon and black and yellow. Although, as we are on this two-year anniversary of 2.2.22, given what the commander's uniforms have been, maroon and black and yellow actually isn't (laughs) that far off. Maroon and black and yellow, an all-time great line in Skins history. Almost as great as the great law firm of Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace, it fights for victims like no other law firm does. Chris Nace, Matt Nace, and the rest of the team do excellent work. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace provides passionate advocacy on behalf of injury victims designed to help them and their families move forward after the most difficult of times. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, Paulson and Nace has taken on Big Pharma and the U.S. government and won two verdicts versus Merrill Dow, totaling $132 million. Bradley versus the United States of America. Paulson and Nace with a case for which the U.S. government had to pay nearly $1.8 million. If you have a case, contact 
Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. Just don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. If you happen to be listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, you can write a review of the podcast saying that you like it. Uh, The review can be just a sentence or two, but the reviews help out the podcast a lot. Thank you for doing them. Uh, I can't tell you how much I hope that Dan Quinn kills it as commander's head coach. I can't tell you how much I hope that the commanders thrive with Dan Quinn as their head coach. I would so love (laughs) for us to look back on this, uh, at best, lukewarm reaction to the team hiring Dan Quinn as head coach and laugh. Look how foolish so many fans and people in the media were. Look how well this worked out of so many being so down on the hire. Unlike some, I don't hate this hire. I actually think that the hire could work, but there are two things about the hire that are inescapable to me. Number one, It does not appear that Dan Quinn was the commander's number one choice to be their head coach. Number two, the commanders in a time in which the trend is to go with a younger, offensive-minded, first-time head coach are going with an older, defensive-minded, retread head coach. Now, these two things do not eradicate the possibility of Dan Quinn doing well as commander's head coach. But if you're being honest and objective and you're not just being a fanboy, these are two things that are hard to ignore. There's a lot with this commander's head coaching search that we do not know. But there were many more indications that Detroit Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson was the commander's number one choice in this head coaching search than there were indications that he was not the team's number one choice in this head coaching search. And Among these indications, all of the reports for weeks that Johnson was expected to be the commander's next head coach. There's also this. The commanders on Tuesday morning conducted an in-person interview of Dan Quinn and then went to the Detroit area to conduct in-person interviews of Johnson and Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. If Dan Quinn was the commander's number one choice, if he was the guy who the team most wanted to be the team's next head coach, why didn't they just hire him as head coach on Tuesday morning? Why'd they let him leave without agreeing to be their head coach? Why were they wanting to go to the Detroit area to conduct these in-person interviews of Johnson and Glenn? You know, Quinn on January 25th had had a second interview with the only other NFL team with a head coaching vacancy as of Tuesday, the Seattle Seahawks. So it's not like Quinn was waiting to be interviewed by the Seahawks again. However, as I just said, there is a lot with the commander's head coaching search that we don't know. And to that end, I want you to take a listen to something. This was NFL insider Mike Garofolo of NFL Network and NFL.com on the Puck and Jim Show. The Puck and Jim Show, everybody. (laughs) On Sports Radio 950 KJR on Thursday. An exchange regarding Ben Johnson. Here you go. What happened in that process, do you think? Uh, I don't think he interviewed particularly well. Um, And I I listen, I've I've heard some rumblings before. (laughs) All right, let's back up. So Johnson withdrew, and he withdrew as Washington was flying to go see him, which did not go over well at all uh, with the Washington uh, organization at all. Um, but I believe he withdrew from two coaching, circuit, coaching searches that he wouldn't have gotten the job anyway. So um, that's the old, you're not fired, and, you know, I quit. Or I'm not fired, I quit. One of those deals. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think he really bold people over in the interview process at all. Um, and I've heard that his personality is, you know, he's very smart, very bright, great play caller. Uh, but I've heard that his personality is kind of, um, 
I don't know, not the most gregarious guy, not not a Mike McDonald type guy or even a Dan Quinn type guy. Mm. Uh, so I think that came across in the interview process. I, I, I my, my belief, my belief is that he came into this. Adam Peters had Ben Johnson uh, as his guy. And Adam Peters was not the only one making a decision there in Washington, which is not to say that he's undermined. Uh, but Rick Spielman was involved. Josh Harris, obviously the owner of the organization. Bob Myers involved as well. So it was four people who came to a collective decision, and it was not going to be Ben Johnson. So how about that? Mike Garofolo thinks that Ben Johnson was so bad in the interview process that he ultimately would not have gotten the commander's head coaching job or the Seahawks head coaching job. Uh, Now, Garofolo said that Adam Peters had Ben Johnson as Peters' guy, as Peters' number one choice, but doesn't think that Johnson would have done well in that second interview with the commanders, the interview that never happened. Uh, That item from Mike Garofolo is new intel, absolutely worth considering. So it sure seems that Dan Quinn at least was the commander's number two choice going into their head coaching search, Uh, maybe even lower than that if they wanted Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, but he on Wednesday became the Seahawks head coach. But whatever, Ben Johnson tapped out on this NFL head coaching cycle, and it's not clear how much the commanders wanted McDonald. As for Dan Quinn being an older, defensive-minded, retread head coach in a time in which the trend in the NFL is to go with a younger, offensive-minded, first-time head coach, uh, well, (laughs) uh, trends are made to be broken. (laughs) Uh, Look, the data is clear. Offensive coordinator hires as NFL head coaches are doing a lot better than defensive coordinator hires as NFL head coaches are doing. We talked about that at length on Wednesday's show, episode 752, in our conversation with Hogshaven writer Bobby Gold, who did extensive research on this topic. But of course, every situation is different. Commander's managing partner Josh Harris and general manager Adam Peters are not dummies, okay? They are aware of this trend. If they even with this trend, opted to go with Dan Quinn in this ultra-important hire of commander's head coach, then in a weird way, perhaps this should make us confident in Dan Quinn because he is the opposite of the trend, and yet two smart guys in Josh and Adam went with Quinn. Uh, And specific to Quinn being a retread, well, keep in mind that NFL history is filled with head coaches who were better in their second stints as head coaches as opposed to their first stints as head coaches. Andy Reid comes to mind. Bill Belichick comes to mind. Tom Coughlin comes to mind. Uh, Of course, Ron Rivera (laughs) can come to mind, too. His stint as Washington head coach was his second stint as an NFL head coach. And uh, as you may have heard, uh, that stint did not go so well. But Ron, as Washington head coach, also was in charge of player personnel. Dan Quinn is not in charge of commander's player personnel. Adam Peters is in charge of commander's player personnel. Big difference. The worry would be that Josh Harris and Adam Peters settled for Dan Quinn. And we'll just have to see about that. I still wonder to what extent the commanders were thrown off by Ben Johnson doing what he did, bowing out of this head coaching cycle, and the commanders reportedly finding out on Tuesday via text while flying to the Detroit area to conduct the in-person interviews of Johnson and Aaron Glenn. Were the commanders in this head coaching search not properly prepared for the possibility of not getting Ben Johnson? I also still wonder why didn't the commanders in this head coaching search interview more offensive-minded candidates? The commanders reportedly interviewed just two external offensive-minded head coaching candidates, Ben Johnson and Houston Texans offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick. The commanders, as far as we know, never interviewed Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive coordinator Dave Canales, who was hired as Carolina Panthers head coach. The commanders, as far as we know, never interviewed Cincinnati Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan, who was hired as Tennessee Titans head coach. I don't get why. Maybe there are good reasons, but I have not heard them, and I've seen little, if any, curiosity about why the commanders did not interview those guys. Uh, This was ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter on the Pat McAfee show on Thursday on the commanders hiring Dan Quinn 
as head coach. Well, there are a few things to consider here. I think first and foremost, they had the GM that they wanted. They got the guy that they wanted right away in uh, Adam Peters, and they hired him out of the box. That was something that was important to them, and they got that done. And I think that they were of the mind that in a perfect world, they weren't going to be pairing a first-time GM with a first-time head coach. And so Dan Quinn checks the boxes there in that regard. The other thing is, is that when these organizations are going through this hiring process, they make a lot of calls and they get a lot of calls from a lot of different people, uh, endorsing candidates, recommending guys. You got to get to know this guy. I'm telling you about this guy, vouching for this guy. I know that the commanders felt like they got more calls and more texts unsolicited uh, about Dan Quinn with positive messages from people than they got from any other candidate. And that's just the way that it kind of went. Now, that's not why he got the job, but it certainly was comforting and reassuring that they felt like they were getting a guy that is high energy, that's upbeat, that's positive. It probably doesn't hurt that you're weakening the team in the division, although I don't really believe that to be a driving force and a primary factor in why they hired Dan Quinn. They hired Dan Quinn because they believe in him as a leader. They believe in him as a man. They believe that other people are spot on in what they say about Dan Quinn, who had been a finalist for other head coaching jobs, and the board just didn't fall his way in recent years. But they feel like they've got a whole energetic, upbeat, positive guy stepping in to Washington to help try to lead that team into the future. I will not be a phony about this. Uh, I wanted Ben Johnson as the commander's next head coach. I then wanted Mike McDonald as the commander's next head coach. This commander's head coaching search did not go how I wanted it to go or how I know many of you wanted it to go. But there are things, plenty of things, to like about Dan Quinn. First of all, players past and present rave about Dan Quinn. A friend of this podcast, commander's analyst and former Redskins tight end Logan Paulson, big fan of Dan Quinn. Logan on this podcast months ago, talked up Dan Quinn. Logan played for the Atlanta Falcons in the 2018 season, which was Quinn's fourth season as Falcons head coach. Perhaps the best defensive player in the NFL, Dallas Cowboys edge defender Micah Parsons. He, in a session with reporters on January 11th, said some very nice things about his defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn. Take a listen to the following exchanges. When you look around and see all the job openings in the NFL, coaching changes, and recognize the possibility that Dan Quinn could be a candidate for many of them, do you look at this as maybe your last chance to win it all with a guy like Dan Quinn? Um, you know, it's the, it's the nature of the business. It, it could possibly be my last ride with Q. Um, and if it is, we're going to make it sure it's a damn good one. Your relationship with him, I think you've called him like a fun uncle or something like that in the past. Can you describe sort of the connection you you two have? You guys both arrived in Dallas at the same time in 21. Yeah, you know, that's like my OG for real. And, uh, you know, he, he means a lot to me, not only because it's not just about football. I think Q, um, we were talking today, and I was like, could you do the college thing because of Saban and all them? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, because you're just such a great mentor. Like, I think he does a great job finding ways for you to love the game, find ways uh, to go around the game. It isn't always has to be hard nose. I'm, you know, the coach, and I think it's more of a friendship. He tells me what I, you know, we go through what I don't like, what I do like. So he don't just treat me treat me like a player. He treats me almost like a friend, and um, he's always there for me when I need him. And we have we're not afraid to have those hard conversations, you know, either there's father to son or player to coach. Um, we have them no matter what. So um, you know, Dan's my guy, and. Uh, and if he do leave me, you know, it's always love. And, you know, I might, he might take me with him. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> that would be tremendous. Dan Quinn somehow bringing Micah Parsons to the commanders. But some good stuff right there from Parsons on Quinn. Quote, I think he does a great job finding ways for you to love the game, finding ways to go around the game. It doesn't always have to be hard-nosed. I'm the coach. I think it's more of a friendship. We go through what I don't like, what I do like. He doesn't just treat me like a player. He treats me almost like a friend. He's always there when I need him, and we're not afraid to have those hard conversations. Either it's father to son or player to coach. We have them no matter what, end quote. That is quite the endorsement 
of Dan Quinn. You know, so much has been made of Adam Peters on January 16th at his introductory press conference as commander's general manager, citing leadership as the top quality that he was looking for in the commander's next head coach. Well, Dan Quinn certainly appears to exhibit leadership. Uh, Dan Quinn has been excellent as an NFL defensive coordinator. Now, there is an important caveat to this, but Quinn was the Cowboys defensive coordinator from January 2021 uh, until just now. (laughs) Uh, Here are the Cowboys regular season rankings in total defense per DVOA with Quinn as defensive coordinator. 2021, number four. 2022, number four. 2023, number five. Quinn was the Seahawks defensive coordinator from January 2013 to February 2015. Here are the Seahawks regular season rankings in total defense per DVOA with Quinn as defensive coordinator. 2013, number one. 2014, number one. There in the modern NFL is major variance with team defense from season to season. For a variety of reasons, team defense in the NFL now is extremely volatile. Our team, Washington, actually is a great example of this. Terrible defensively for the 2019, 2021, and 2023 seasons, but very good defensively for the 2020 and 2022 seasons. Well, In this time of defensive unreliability and defensive unpredictability, defenses coordinated by Dan Quinn have been consistently outstanding. He has been a defensive coordinator in five of the last 11 NFL regular seasons. Each defense was top five in the NFL in total defense for DVOA. That's awesome. And keep in mind that Quinn inherited a Cowboys defense that was hideous with Mike Nolan as defensive coordinator for the 2020 season. Uh, And yes, uh, that would be the same Mike Nolan who was the Skins defensive coordinator January 1997 to January 2000. Uh, However, and this is a big however, the Falcons over their six regular seasons with Dan Quinn as head coach never finished higher than number 14 in the NFL in total defense per DVOA. The commanders are hiring Quinn as head coach, not as a defensive coordinator. Being a defensive coordinator is different than being a head coach, to say nothing of the high-level defensive talent on those Seahawks and Cowboys defenses coordinated by Quinn. So this is something to keep in mind with the commander's defenses under Quinn. I also would add this. Dan Quinn's Cowboys defenses routinely got shredded by the three Kyle Shanahan offenses, uh, or as we can call them on this podcast, the three offenses for which the head coaches are former Skins offensive assistants. I'm talking about the San Francisco 49ers, who have former Skins offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan as head coach, the Green Bay Packers, who have former Skins quarterbacks coach Matt LaFleur as head coach, and the Miami Dolphins, who have former Skins receivers coach Mike McDaniel as head coach. If you go by expected points added or EPA per dropback using the version of EPA from NFL Fast R, and you look at all regular season and postseason NFL games over Quinn's three seasons as Cowboys defensive coordinator 2021 through 2023, Quinn's Cowboys defenses had the worst EPA per dropback allowed in the NFL in terms of games against the Kyle Shanahan tree. The worst. And of course, we all saw what happened to Quinn's Cowboys defense this postseason. Uh, The Cowboys humiliating (laughs) 48-32 home loss to Matt LaFleur's Packers on January 14th in the wildcard round of the playoffs. Uh, Quinn's defense got shredded in that game. By the way, the reporting is that Dan Quinn is expected to bring Cowboys secondary coach and defensive passing game coordinator Joe Witt Jr. to be the commander's defensive coordinator. 
Uh, as for Quinn's time as Falcons head coach, so he was the Falcons head coach from February 2015 to October 2020. His overall regular season record as Falcons head coach was 43 and 42. One game above 500. As that record suggests, uh, his time as Falcons head coach was very mixed. Uh, now, Quinn, in just his second season as Falcons head coach, won the NFC Championship. Dan Quinn engineered a rapid turnaround off the Falcons, having lost at least 10 games in each of the two previous regular seasons prior to him becoming the team's head coach. So I'd be surprised if we if we heard Quinn talking about a three to five year rebuild for the commanders. Uh, Quinn, as Falcons head coach, won at least 10 games in each of two consecutive regular seasons, the 2016 and 2017 regular seasons. But Quinn made the playoffs in just two of his five full seasons as Falcons head coach, and there was the Kyle Shanahan factor. Kyle Shanahan was the Falcons offensive coordinator from January 2015 to February 2017. Dan Quinn's regular season record as Falcons head coach with Kyle Shanahan was 29-19. and Dan Quinn's regular season record as Falcons head coach without Kyle Shanahan was 14 and 23. Very hard to ignore that discrepancy. Who Dan Quinn as commander's head coach hires as his offensive coordinator is such a big deal. You cannot emphasize the importance of that enough. Dan Quinn, with a very good offensive coordinator, has been a good NFL head coach. Dan Quinn, without a good offensive coordinator, has been a bad NFL head coach. Offense wins in today's NFL. Consider this, out of the top 10 teams in the NFL in total offense for DVOA for the 2023 regular season, do you know how many made the playoffs? All 10. Yeah, 10 out of 10. And of the top 10 teams in the NFL in total defense for DVOA, For the 2023 regular season, do you know how many made the playoffs? Six. Now, that's not bad. Six out of 10. But six out of 10 isn't 10 out of 10. Offense wins in today's NFL. Here's some more for you. So we now have 13 games each NFL postseason with the expanded format. Offensive-minded head coaches in the playoffs for the 2021 season won 12 of the 13 games. Offensive-minded head coaches in the playoffs for the 2022 season won 12 of the 13 games. And offensive-minded head coaches in the playoffs for the 2023 season will have won 9 of the 13 games once the Super Bowl is completed. Now, some of this is a function of the current NFL having more offensive-minded head coaches as compared to defensive-minded head coaches. But that still is something, isn't it? Offense wins in today's NFL. So there are some things working against the commanders hiring Dan Quinn as head coach, proving to be a success. But that doesn't mean that this can't or won't be a success. And trust me, (laughs) I am rooting very hard for this to be a success. Well, if you play underdog fantasy, you can have great success. Fantasy football, fantasy basketball, pro and college, fantasy hockey. Underdog fantasy is loaded with options. The daily pick'em games are super easy and fun. The season-long fantasy is simple. Underdog fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports, and it has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a deposit match of up to $100 for all new customers who sign up with the promo code Galdi and to make a first deposit of at least $10. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Underdog Fantasy offers daily pick'em games in which you simply take a player going higher or lower a given total and take advantage of the free money. Sign up now with the promo code Galdi and Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $100, you get 
$100 for free. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use that promo code GALDI. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, before we get to our guest reporter, Jeff Barker of the Baltimore Sun, to discuss the sale of the Orioles, we have major breaking Orioles news from Thursday night. A big trade. The O's on Thursday night announced that they had traded lefty pitcher D.L. Hall, infielder Joey Ortiz, and the 2024 competitive balance round A pick to the Milwaukee Brewers for starting pitcher Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns, one of the best pitchers in baseball, (laughs) now is on the O's. The O's have traded for a certified ace. Uh, This is the kind of go-for-it, win-now move that the O's basically never make, okay? And it's hard to think that it is purely coincidence that this trade happened just one day after the O's announced that the Angelos family is selling the team. The 2024 season will be Corbin Burns' age 29 season, also is the final season of team control. So that right there is the concern. Corbin Burns is entering a contract season. The O's acquiring Burns uh, could be a rental, but Corbin Burns has proven himself to be both durable and good. He has made at least 28 starts in each of the last three regular seasons, and he, over those three regular seasons, has pitched at a high level, 562 and two-thirds innings, ERA of 294, and ERA plus of 141. ERA plus is ERA that is adjusted for a pitcher's league and home ballpark. 100 is average, above 100 is good, below 100 is bad, and ERA plus of 141 is outstanding, 41% better than the league average. Also, Burns over the last three regular seasons has registered a fielding independent pitching, a FIP of 292. FIP is an ERA-like number that only looks at that which a pitcher can mostly control, strikeouts, home runs allowed, walks allowed, and hit by pitches allowed. So Burns, over the last three regular seasons, has an ERA of 294 and a FIP of 292. What a matchup. 294 ERA, 292 FIP. That tells you that the ERA at 294 is uh, well-earned. Burns, over the last three regular seasons, has a whip, a walks plus hits, divided by innings pitched of less than one, 0.994. And Burns is a strikeout pitcher, as he, over the last three regular seasons, has a strikeouts per nine innings of 10.8. 
You think about the Orioles' rotation for the 2024 season. Corbin Burns, Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, John Means, Dean Kramer. The O's also have the likes of Tyler Wells and Cole Irvin as rotation options. The O's have the makings of a dominant rotation for this coming season. Joe Angel, give it to me! And the Orioles again in the win column! <laughs> yes, thank you, Joe. Uh, now, the two prospects who the O's have traded uh, do have talent. There's no doubt about that. D.L. Hull and Joey Ortiz, they were two of the Orioles' top prospects, but there were reasons for the O's to trade those guys. Uh, D.L. Hull is not ranked among the top 100 prospects in baseball per MLB pipeline, is the number 93 prospect in baseball per Baseball America, but Hull with the O's had dealt with injury and had been uh, toggled between being a starter and being a reliever. Joey Ortiz is the number 63 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline, is not ranked among the top 100 prospects in baseball per Baseball America. And the O's have an infield logjam with all of their promising young players. The O's have this abundance of promising infielders uh, led by third baseman slash shortstop slash second baseman Gunnar Henderson, the reigning American League Rookie of the Year, uh, shortstop slash second baseman Jackson Holiday, who is the consensus number one prospect in baseball, and second baseman slash third baseman, Jordan Westberg. Uh, like I said, the worry is that Corbin Burns could leave as a free agent after this upcoming season. But of course, the O's also could sign Burns to a contract extension or re-sign Burns as a free agent. And those scenarios are no longer laughable given the incoming new ownership. And let's talk about that right now. Well, if you were like me and you grew up in the Washington, D.C. area in the 1980s and 1990s, you grew up as a fan of both the Redskins and Orioles, in addition to being a fan of the Bullets and Capitals. But that combo, Skins-O's, is a very common combo for people who grew up in the D.C. area during the 80s and 90s, as D.C. had no Major League Baseball team for the 1972 through 2004 seasons. Well, how about the last six months for us a combo Skins O's fans? Last July, Dan and Tanya Snyder sold the Commanders to the Josh Harris Group, and we this week have had the glorious news that the Angelos family has agreed to sell the O's to a group led by two private equity billionaires, David Rubenstein and Michael Arigetti. The O's on Wednesday afternoon put out a statement confirming the sale. The statement confirmed the sale price of $1.725 billion. The statement confirmed David Rubenstein becoming, quote, the controlling owner of the Orioles upon the close of the transaction, end quote. The statement said that the sale will include the Angelos family continuing, quote, to hold a sizable investment in the Orioles, end quote, and will include John Angelos serving, quote, as a senior advisor to the organization, end quote. And the statement provided detail on who else is in this incoming ownership group. Among those in the group, legendary former Orioles shortstop and third baseman Cal Ripken Jr. and former NBA star Grant Hill, who, as many of you know, is from the Washington, D.C. area. Grant Hill went to South Lakes High School in Reston, Virginia. But there is so much more to the sale, including what it means for the Masson dispute between the O's and Nationals, a dispute that started in 2012 and continues to this day, although there in recent months has been progress in the dispute. We this past December had the major development of the O's and Nats agreeing on the Masson money for the 2017 through 2021 seasons, as the teams jointly told the New York Supreme Court that they concurred with an MLB arbitration decision that each club was due $304 million for those five seasons, amounting to $60.8 million annually. Well, this sale of the O's does include the sale of Masson, in which the O's have a majority ownership stake. And joining us now is the man who has reported that news and much more on the sale of the O's, reporter Jeff Barker of the Baltimore Sun. You can follow Jeff on X at Sun, Jeff Barker. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Al, I, I, I'm great. Thank you for that nice intro. 
You know the Angelos family well. People in the know for years have thought that the Angelos family would sell the Orioles once Peter Angelos passes away. Uh, that said, are you at all surprised that the Angelos family is selling the O's? I, I was surprised at the timing. So the the thing is, is that he, he Rubenstein, has been interested in this club for so long. And I kind of learned that more the extent that he was interested in. He was talking to people like Kurt Schmoke, who's the former Baltimore mayor, and telling Schmoke that he was interested. The, the two went to City College in Baltimore together. Rubenstein's been talking about it and kind of wishing for it. The timing is interesting because everybody sort of thought while Peter was living, this wasn't going to happen because of tax implications. And they've figured out a way, and I, I can guess, but somehow where Rubenstein can buy the club and not take, I think, a massive uh, hit on the appreciation that the Orioles have seen over the years. So, yeah, that, that this it kind of came out of the blue, but the fact that it was Rubenstein, that piece of it was not surprising. The Angelos family owns about 70% of the O's. Is the David Rubenstein group buying just the portion of the O's owned by the Angelos family, or is the Rubenstein group buying 100% of the O's? See, they won't, they won't say, but you're asking just the right question because we, we believe there's a very decent chance they're buying at least a bunch from the minority shares the piece that the Angelos family does not own. And the reason we think that is, is again, it's because of taxes, because we, we believe that if they were buying just the Angelos share while Peter is living, they'd have to pay massive. I, I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars because the O's have appreciated so much since Peter bought the club in 1993. So, so we're, we're, we're guessing it may be some of the Angelos share, but also maybe some of the minority shares. And the David Rubenstein group is buying about 40% of the O's now and then the rest of the team when Peter Angelos passes away? Right. And when we say the rest, it, I mean, it could be like 70% like the Angelos family owns. But, but we're hearing, I mean, it, it could be like 100% too. I, I don't know. I, although, as you know, he has sort of this all-star Cal Ripken, Grand Hill lineup of people with him, so so they're they're going to own a piece too. So, sometimes those shares are sort of celebrity shares, and they're like half a percent, but but sometimes they can be more. Now, Peter Angelos has been in failing health for a while uh, since 2017. I'm not trying to talk about a person living or dying in a flippant way, but what if Peter hangs on? For another few years, does David Rubenstein not become controlling owner of the O's for another few years? I think technically that's the case, but that, it's interesting. You, you know, I don't think we have quite figured out how that's going to work because you, I'm sure you saw that we were interested in seeing that John Angelos is, is, is sort of being called a senior advisor with the Rubenstein group. I, I know for, for, Oriole, for some Orioles fans who have waited years, they were like, oh my God, no, no, just have them go away. But 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 we don't know exactly what role he'll play. I, I suspect it's going to be a very minor role. And I really believe whether or not David Rubenstein is called the, the controlling owner immediately or not, I think he, I think it's clear he is going to be the guy. And, and as you know, to, to even be called the the, the the control person is what Major League Baseball, that, that's going to take a long time. I think he's going to be pretty much in control before then. But Major League Baseball owners actually have to vote, I think, three-quarters vote to make you control person. And that, that may not happen for weeks. That may not happen for two months by the time they do all the due diligence. So, so we're sort of talking what's really happening and what is formally in place. Yeah, you on Wednesday morning reported that, per a source, MLB's approval process of this sale of the O's will not be completed at next week's owners' meeting. So you're thinking about a two-month time frame for MLB approval of the sale? Yeah, the estimates are, the, the low-end estimate I heard, and that surprised me that this takes this long, but four to six weeks was the low-end. The high end was somebody who understands and knows this process was saying weeks, saying weeks would be aggressive. They said we, we are actually talking months. So they do, they have 
to vet everybody, obviously, that they, you know, they vet David Rubenstein and the minority owners. The thing that surprised me is that they already know who he is really well, and they've already started due diligence. So it surprised me it would take that long, but, but that's what I hear. This controversy of John Angelos not being transparent about selling the O's. Uh, Maryland Treasurer Derek Davis, who helped to negotiate the team's new 30-year lease at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, he, during a Board of Public Works meeting on Wednesday, said, quote, I feel lied to, I feel misled, end quote. What do you make of this? I think there's two things. There's one is is literally when people like Derek Davis and the governor were informed, and I think there there is some feeling that they were not informed that they some of them some people who believe they should have known earlier learned about it in the media. That's one thing. But I think the the other thing to that is that I think they believed, and maybe John Angelos himself believed for a very long time that he was going to be the principal owner. So I. I think, I mean, I'll say, he. I, I know firsthand that he had decided he. this was something he really wanted to do. He, he enjoyed it. He enjoyed the pulpit. He enjoyed baseball. Somehow things turned, and I think it, it may have been because he asked a lot of the state. So he wanted development rights for the area around Camden Yards, and he wanted other things. He got a bunch of it, but a lot of it he didn't get also. So I think it's quite possible he, he kind of changed and said, okay, I, I'm not getting really what I want in, in my lease and, and therefore I'm just going to sell. We're talking with Jeff Barker, reporter for the Baltimore Sun, about the sale of the Orioles. Uh, all right, the Masson dispute. <laughs> uh, you and I, over the years, have had plenty of conversations about this. No, uh, don't go there. <laughs> uh, you have reported that the sale of the O's does include the sale of Masson, in which the O's have a majority ownership stake. To what extent? Does the sale of the O's increase the likelihood of the end of the Masson dispute? I mean, I think it, it does. Honestly, I sort of thought that when it was told to me it, that the Masson would, would be part of the deal, David Rubenstein would acquire Masson, not only that, but that the Orioles would retain their majority stake in Masson and continue to control Washington's rights. That piece surprised me because, as you know, so you've had in recent months this this really weird time in Washington Baltimore history where both the Orioles and Nats were rumored to 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 be on the market, right? And so I thought that in the case that during this period, this had to shake out. So the Nationals, as you know, clearly don't want another city owning their broadcast rights. Don't want another team owning their rights. So I figured this was going to shake out. It hasn't yet. The Nats, I'm sure, still want exclusive control of their own broadcast rights. So maybe it will shake out if and when the Nats are sold. It probably has to at that point. There is the Masson dispute, and then there is the Masson setup, a deal in which the O's control the Nats' local television rights in perpetuity. Uh, how likely is that ever changing? Because it's hard to see David Rubenstein, as swell of a guy as he may be, uh, being totally fine with losing something as lucrative as another MLB team's local television rights. That's what I think, too. And I was talking about that with somebody today and reminding them that the Angelos family always would say, hey, when we got majority control of Masson and we got Washington's television rights, this was a forever thing. This, this, right? Because a lot, I think they, they got mad. They said a lot of fans don't understand. We believed we needed Washington's television rights because Baltimore is a smaller market and that we need that to be viable, right? So, so they're reminding people. But the answer is, this person said, money will buy you anything, and for the right price, maybe Rubenstein gives up those rights. Man, it would have to be a lot. You would think. What about MLB attaching a stipulation to approving this sale of the O's that approval will not be granted unless the O's release the Nats from the mass and setup? Could you ever see MLB doing something like that? I, I wouldn't bet that they would but but yeah it's it's definitely possible i mean i mean as you were saying that i was reminded how 
many for many years major league baseball tried to resolve this dispute i mean not only the dispute over exactly the fees and how much that was owed to the nets but but in general tried to resolve this tension between the orioles and nats that the nats are just so angry that they don't have their own rights so so could mlb try to use approval of the sale to broker something i i think it's it's possible the Masson dispute is complicated enough. Further complicating it is what's going on with these regional sports networks or RSNs. Many of them are struggling in the cord-cutting environment. For years, the thinking was how great it would be if the Nats had their own RSN, but maybe in the current climate, the Nats are better off sharing an RSN with the O's and just doing so with a fair split of the money. I know things have really changed because when I first started writing this 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 mass in conflict, you know, a, a lifetime ago, we were talking about how the regional networks were just soaring in value. I think that the, the in Texas, I think the Rangers had 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 a, a, a huge deal involving broadcast rights. But you're right; it's all changed to the point where, as you know, you know the the some of these these networks have failed. I mean, if you know, you look, look at Look at San Diego, for example, right? So, so yeah, the, the value of these things has diminished completely because of cord cutting, as you know. And so that does change the equation. I, you know, clearly, I think you still want your own rights. I mean, I'll just just a quick aside, especially for for people in their twenties who write me all the time saying, "Why can't I get Masson on my phone without subscribing to cable?" That's something I'm sure if the Nats took over their own network, they they would like to address that because I'm sure they hear that too. You know, you, that, that, that seems like the dark ages for a lot of people that you got to subscribe to Comcast or Verizon or a satellite service in order to get Masson on your phone. What kind of an owner of the O's do you think that David Rubenstein will be? You know, I think he, he could be uh, the perfect balance of somebody, and I don't know this, but I'm sort of guessing, somebody who loves who has tons of money, who loves baseball, but doesn't love baseball in the way that Dan Snyder loved football, right? You, you want, he, you know, he, he, he was on a, a Rubenstein was on a PBS thing and he was at Fenway Park and talking about the Green Monster and, and I wrote about the swinging an imaginary bat. And I mean, it, you know, he, he grew up playing Little League. So, but, but, what you hope is he. This is such a busy guy, right? I mean, he just stepped down as the chairman of the board of the Kennedy Center, but he has a million other things that he does. So you kind of hope he's he loves the team, but he's 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 not you know going to go out there and try to say we need to trade for a new starting pitcher. That it, it, that that could work really well for Baltimore. Yeah, I agree. The involvement of Cal Ripken Jr. in this Orioles incoming ownership group, how significant is that? That That's big. I, I mean, I'm glad you asked that because honestly, as well as I've known the Angelos family and, and I've interviewed Ripken over the years, I, I never quite understood why Ripken hadn't been a bigger part of that team during the Angelos years. It just didn't make any sense. It still doesn't. And, you know, as, as soon as I heard that the uh, that the Rubenstein deal might be going down, I, I thought, oh, of course they're going to bring Ripken. Because Major League Baseball two years ago told me if there's ever an ownership group formed that's going to buy the club from the Angelos family, we want – they were encouraging Ripken to be part of it, right? I mean, that's huge. So I think it's, I think it's great for Cal. I think it's great for – Baltimore, it's probably great for everybody. You know, if I if I can get Cal on the phone, I'm going to say, are you are you just putting up money, or are you going to play some role? Because as you know, for years, even with the Nats, right, weren't there rumors a long time ago he could be a general manager, or he could be a senior partner, or something? And so I am curious about that. I would think that Cal Ripken Jr.'s involvement with the David Rubenstein group is similar to Magic Johnson's involvement with the Josh Harris group. Uh, Magic is a limited partner in the Commanders, but he also is a very public face of the team. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I, I, you know, I don't want to denigrate Cal in any way, but clearly he's he, he's picked because he's Cal Ripken Jr. He does bring a, a you know, huge cachet, and it's it's great for Baltimore. It's great for, for Major League Baseball to have him being such a visible part. So I, I'm sure that's going to be part of it. 
I just wonder, you know, if he if he has interest in in, in playing any advisory role on the baseball side because I know he, at one time he was interested. I just I don't know if he if he still is, but but yeah, I mean, talk about a a, a win for for Baltimore. I mean, it, it's it, it's as if the the old you know Baltimore Colts, if if you know if John Unitas were alive, it's as if he comes in and and, and plays a bit. You know, you, you know, it, it's just. It's just a, a a great thing, I think, for for everybody to have him be visibly associated with the club. Absolutely, the great Jeff Barker, reporter for the Baltimore Sun, has had all kinds of terrific intel on the sale of the O's. What a joyous development for those of us who are Orioles fans. Uh, Jeff, thank you, and have a great weekend. Thanks, thanks. I really enjoy your show, Al. Thank you. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 755, will have a lot for you on the commanders of Dan Quinn being the team's new head coach. Also on Monday's show, I'll talk Wizards and college basketball. The Wizards have two games this weekend, home to the Miami Heat Friday night at 7 and home to the Phoenix Suns Sunday afternoon at 3.30. College basketball this weekend. Maryland is at Michigan State Saturday evening at 5.30. Georgetown is home to number 9 Marquette Saturday afternoon at 2. Virginia is at Clemson Saturday afternoon at 2. And Virginia Tech is at Miami Saturday at noon. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Let's not like make folks wait. Let's not drag it out, Jason. What's the, uh, what is the new team name? Doug, what is it? We are the Commanders. <laughs> <laughs> we are the Commanders. The Commanders. The Washington Commanders. That's right. Uh, oh, wow. You didn't waste any time there. There it is. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com